You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. I think you need to mix up how you say, hello, I'm Nick Corbin. Like, <laughs> is it not? Uh, is well, it's it not the a... same every time? And so is mine. I'm just, yeah, just going <laughs> change our tones, just, maybe. Should we higher, lower, <laughs> more excited, it... duller? <laughs> that, let that be a lesson for the next time we do a podcast. Friends, welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. <laughs> Nick and I um, have just had a great conversation with Uli Chi. Uh, around leadership and and wisdom in leadership and what it means to be a wise leader and uh, what role does humility play in that? Where does power fit into that? How does biblical wisdom? What about if you're? What about self promotion and mm. narcissism and yet also trying to uh, be aware of the relational dynamics of leadership? So it was a really fun, great conversation. Yeah, I mean, we even talked about poetry, which you wouldn't think poetry fits into leadership but it does and so yeah it was really good really appreciated Uli and his experience and journey and his wisdom as a leader because he's been in it and now he's in the reflecting stages so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, if you haven't come across Dr. Uli Chi before he's spent his life really practicing leadership in the intersection of profit and non-profit businesses in the theology like in, in the academy and in the local church, and he's a—he's basically—he's a—he's an entrepreneur, and he founded a software company that develops 3D virtual reality software uh, that simplifies complex decision making for consumers and businesses. So he's a—he's a mathematician and a, a sort of—he's got software IT kind of background, but he's been on numbers of boards, which you'll hear him talk a little bit more about that. And he's currently the senior fellow at the Dupree Center for Leadership uh, at Fuller, and he regularly contributes to its life for leaders blog he's he's particularly interested he just loves thinking and reflecting as nick was saying on developing wise practices uh, as we integrate uh, our life and work and he's currently a teacher a faculty member in regent's malt program the master of arts in leadership theology and society so we hope you enjoy our conversation with dr ulichi Chi, welcome to the Regent College podcast. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we're, we're going to be talking about leadership, but I thought, could you give us a little bit of a sense of just before we do um, your connection and your history with Regent? Sure. No, happy to do that. Um, it seems like I, I wasn't there in the beginning with Regent, but it feels like it's been a long time. <laughs> and I was just thinking about it again today. It's probably been close to 40 years. I mean, we wow. have a uh, number of regent uh, faculty come to our church and various contexts in Seattle. And then probably my most uh, um, uh, direct connection with regent started when I was, uh, jo- I joined the U.S. Foundation here in Seattle. And then shortly mm-hmm. thereafter, I was asked to join the regent board mm-hmm. around 1988 or so. And so I served uh, two terms as a board member. Two nine-year terms, so that's eighteen years. That's that's a good chunk of my nine life. Nine-year terms. That's Imagine a long that. term. That's a long <laughs> time. And um, ended as board chair, which was really fun. And mm-hmm. when Rod Wilson was there, and so yeah. really, um, I mean, it's it's just it's such a wonderful institution. And sort of my probably the so at a personal level, what drew me to Regent is um, the very thing that I think Regent's strength is, which is trying to 
equip people like me who are trying to be serious and thoughtful about their faith in the world, uh, but who are not professional uh, theologians or mm. biblical scholars or pastors or missionaries or whatever. And, and mm. so I found in Regent just one of those great places that was an ally to my journey. And so mm-hmm. I've become a raving fan of Regents since and uh, <laughs> have, have been associated with Regent in various different ways, including um, being asked a few years ago when I was chatting with um, Jeff uh, Greenman and Steve Garber, who was here at the time about mm. the MA and leadership. And, and so they were looking, I think, for a couple of thoughtful practitioners who could mm. talk about how to embody all the things that People were learning in the world and uh, in, at Regent in, in the context of their world in the uh, their work in the world, and so um, that was a that was a real gift to mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were just we were, you were just talking about how much you enjoyed doing that a few weeks ago, and just we were just talking, and you know Nick's in the room in the Zoom room, so we can say this: how great Regent students are. Yeah. And how great Malt students are in particular. Yeah. Like, Malt yeah. students don't always get a shout out. So now's a yeah. now's our opportunity to give totally. that give yeah. them a little shout yeah. out. Yeah, can I put in a plug for Malt? Is that okay. a, go for it? Is that allowed? Is that a commercial yeah, moment? Or something? No, <laughs> that's great. No, I think you know. I I think that um, the the you know and Regents one of the great strengths is it's uh, incredibly thoughtful and deep um, theological uh, resources and. And providing those, you know, in a, a residential program, like my, has been much of Regent's history, it's a wonderful gift to many, many people. But there's an even larger group of people, frankly, who can't come for a year mm-hmm. or two, who want to come, who really love Regent and love what Regent uh, is trying to provide to folks. And so the MA program, I think, is one of the great um, mm-hmm. innovations in many ways of Regent, mm-hmm. to try to engage an audience that can come for two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. twice a year over a period of um, two years or uh, two years. And so it's, it's a great, it's a great gift. And, and I think one of the great things for region is it, it it just sort of opens the pipeline in some way people who who can have access to these Mm -hmm. resources. Mm -hmm. And the students are amazing. I mean, I I think I was saying this to you just Mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. I I think, I think uh, I've I've always heard about region faculty talking about how much they learn from their students. And (laughs) I kind of thought, well, maybe it's just one of those things that people say because they're nice and they they (laughs) want to affirm their students, you know, but but it's really true. I mean, as as a person, as a faculty member now, it's just, I just find I'm, I'm astonished. uh, And I don't use that word lightly Mm -hmm. at the wealth of experience of, of um, thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. of commitment to living um, faithfully in the world, it's it's really quite remarkable. And and you know we had a spectrum in this last cohort. We had you know folks who were in the 30s to uh, one person was in his 70s. You know, wow. who came from who, who just bring you know and, and for people who were working in church ministries, a couple of young pastors, mm-hmm. somebody who was in working in government and senior role in the U.S. Uh, formerly in the U.S. government, and um, and business people you know, yeah. across the spectrum. So it's just you know. And I hope people learn something from us as faculty, <laughs> but I I, I I hope that. But I, I, I'm sure they learn a lot from each other. I mean, yeah. it's totally. watching the dynamic. Yeah. So yeah. it's been and that's, great. Yeah, that's the gift of that sort of the cohort model of that too, of MALTS, where right. there's, yeah, you're sort of you're moving through low residency with the same group over a few years. Um, it's great. So good. Thanks, Uli. Do you want to sure. tell us tell us a little bit about how you came to teach on wisdom in leadership in particular? Sure. Why Why that? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, um, Jeff and Steve Garber asked me to 
to think about this course. Uh, I think, again, mainly because as a practitioner, I've been wrestling with many of these questions. I've had a real interest in, in um, how to live wisely in the world. I think just struggling with um, the realities on the ground, so to speak, in terms yeah. of the challenges of living a step out. And, you know, in my own professional life, uh, you know, I've, I've run a software organization and built an entrepreneurial organization in the process. And I've uh, actually had a chance to work in my professional life with in a couple of companies, uh, the warehousing companies in the uh, Pacific Northwest and uh, Herman Miller in the Midwest, um, both of whom were started by fine uh, Christian um, and very wise, I think, uh, families. And the warehousing family, obviously, the company's named after them. But Herman Miller was started by the Dupree family. And uh, again, in my, I just sort of, in the providence of God, certainly not my own doing, in the providence of God, I spent much of my life sort of, uh, in a certain sense, being tu- tutored by, by being associated with those mm. organizations, watching the effects of wise leadership in mm. those organizations and how that made an impact for, uh, in fact, in the institution, not just in their own lives, but right. in their moment in time, but across time. And so that's intrigued me in terms of how to do that well. Um, and then, uh, as I said, I think I've, um, in addition, in sort of parallel with all that, I've spent a, a good deal of my life in governance work and board work, certainly at Regent, as I, as yeah. I mentioned, and at Fuller Seminary at Seattle Pacific University in Seattle. Uh, and so it's been a real privilege for me to work alongside, watch, learn from, engage with um, other Christian leaders as they've mm-hmm. wrestled with the question of how do you live well, mm-hmm. how do you um, manage and lead well in mm-hmm. an academic setting. Right. So, so, so the business academy. And then in my, I've been the, uh, I, I didn't grow up in the church, but after I was converted, I joined a local Presbyterian church and have never left. So mm. it's been over 50 years. Wow. And I've spent much of uh, that time in leadership of various kinds. So, so the academy business and the church are sort of three areas that continually are sort of uh, my natural habitat in terms mm-hmm. of how to work out um, aspects of leadership. So, and in all three of those areas, I think I've had a chance to see up close uh, both uh, the agonies and ecstasies of leadership, right? So I started yeah. seeing um, things that are great and wonderful, as well as things that you'd rather not see, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's the realities. Uh, that, right. So as, as uh, Audubon Bismarck said, you know, I got to see how the sausage was made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a pretty sight, no, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So you're, so you're trying to um, learn from that experience and also to reflect thoughtfully about it. And it really, this class for me has been a wonderful gift because it's a chance. I spent most of my life as a practitioner doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, I've been reflective, but I've never sort of had a season of that's focused on reflection and, teaching. And so this is my season sort of to take all that. Yeah. And, and Regent's given me a wonderful gift to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing your journey and experience with that. And I, I wonder, you know, we're talking about leadership, but specifically wise leadership and uh, coming from biblical wisdom. So I can we first start with that? Like, how are we un- to understand biblical wisdom? Like, you know, we have the wisdom books, like Proverbs, um, and there's great principles and insights. Like, is this how we understand wisdom or is there more to it? Yeah, it's not a bad place to start, right? I mean, Proverbs is a, I know many people who read Proverbs regularly, perhaps even daily as a spiritual practice. And I think that's a great thing. 
Mm. Great place to start. But I think uh, it's it's clear biblical wisdom um, isn't just a collection of pithy sayings, principles, and insights, or even teaching or instruction about why that's important. But it's really a much larger, much more capacious thing. That it's really about all of life. It's really about um, how we live life well as human beings were meant to live. And I think that's sort of in an essence what wise, mm. um, what biblical wisdom is all about. So I was, I, I guess I would say three things, maybe in response to, to my sort of summary view of that. I think first it's integrative. That is, biblical wisdom mm. is meant to bring all of life together. Right. To use Jeff Greenman's favorite phrase, right? It's about the, the head, the heart, and the hands, right? Yeah. All those things sort of work in unison. Um, not to sort of one is doing one thing and the other is doing the other. And it's not just about ideas, uh, nor is it just about our passions or desires of our hearts, but also about, you know, living those out in a coherent way. And I think uh, that's, um, and I think that's, again, one of the reasons I think why Jeff uh, asked um, two practitioners, Alan Mm -hmm. Hill and I, to teach this course. Second, I think it's, it's, um, in addition to being integrative, I think, secondly, biblical wisdom is relational and personal. Um, wisdom at its core is about relationship. I think it's easy to turn wisdom into sort of an abstract set of ideas. And right. I'm a trained mathematician. I love ideas. I love abstraction. <laughs> right? So, you know, I, that's my natural habitat. But you know what? You know, um, as, as Proverbs itself says, the beginning wisdom, fear of the Lord is the beginning wisdom. Yeah, yeah. You have to deal with this person who is the creator of the universe and wow. make all things visible and invisible, right? So, and I think that's, that's really fundamental and foundational of this. And I think you lay on top of that the, the fundamentally Christian insight that God is Trinity. Yeah. It's a community, that God is a community of persons and a fellowship into which we're invited, right? Mm-hmm. So biblical wisdom in some sense is fundamentally about mutuality, learning to move from me to us, right? Mm-hmm. From us, a solitary me to this community of persons. And that has profound implications as to how we think about how to be wise in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the second thing. I think the third thing I would say, which uh, may not be quite as obvious, is that biblical wisdom is surprisingly comprehensive and ecumenical mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, the word ecumenical, I was just thinking about that this morning. It, it actually comes from a root word that, that talks about, um, uh, it's not just a churchy word, but it's a word that means all the inhabited earth. Right? It's mm-hmm. really about God is at work in the world as well as in the church. So I think biblical wisdom takes seriously that God is a work in the world, and therefore we need to have not a narrow view of things and not a parochial view of things, but that we need to have a appropriately comprehensive view of things. Mm-hmm. And now we need to be discerning about what we take in and what we accept and affirm, but we, in fact, need to not sort of view this as being sort of a narrow religious thing, but that it's a world, you know, lo- looking for God to be at work in the world. The mm-hmm. book of Proverbs is a great example. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of Proverbs, or sections of Proverbs that have clear connections with other ancient traditions mm-hmm. uh, that are that are extra biblical. So mm-hmm. there's already mm-hmm. a recognition in, in one of the sort of perhaps most obvious wisdom literature in the larger wisdom literature of the Bible that there's an acknowledgement that there's wisdom out there other than the one that we would say is you know sort of revealed to the people of God in the in the direct way that, that scripture mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, integrative, relational, and comprehensive. Yes, right. I love it. What great three great words. So yeah. good. Um, then, so then, so thinking about that, particularly the relational part of it. So much of our kind of some of our cultures thinking about leadership is that 
you know, I'm the leader and I'm the one and there's an individualistic kind ofness to both not just to leadership but also to our culture. How do you how do you see those things interacting? Do you want to say anything more about that? Sure, sure. No, I, I mean, you're talking to an entrepreneur, so that's my natural. Exactly. You just like, just, just me. <laughs> you know, just it's go. about me. Yeah, it's all about right. me. I'm going to do it all. Yeah. You know, I remember actually early on when I started my company, I remember having a feeling when it was just literally me and maybe one or two other people. I thought, if I don't do something today, nothing's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so it's all about me. Like it is all about you, right? Yeah. Which, is, which is a very dangerous place to be. But as, as the biblical wisdom would remind us, you know, I, as Genesis, the Genesis story tells, it's not good for human beings to be alone, right? I mean, God created another human being in many ways very different from him, mm. her, right, that, that creates this sense of community. Mm. And we're made for different kinds of community. I think there's just lots of different examples of that. It's not just about, I mean, obviously, that's specifically talking about marriage, but but it's in the larger sense, talking about friendships, uh, about family, work teams, volunteer groups, study cohorts, like the Maltz cohort, right? Mm-hmm. So we're made to somehow um, live in that context. And that's in many ways countercultural, because I think the reality is, that we we tend to value, just like I said, I tended to value even yeah. myself, perhaps unconsciously, the heroic leader, right? I mm-hmm. want to be the guy or, the, or somebody wants to be the gal who's going to you know change the world. And mm-hmm. it's much harder to create a leadership community, I think. It's much harder mm-hmm. to create a community of persons that are doing this work together. Um, um, and I think particularly valuing different, even opposing perspectives is hard. And, mm-hmm. and, and creating space for that is, mm-hmm. is really difficult. Can mm-hmm. I tell a quick story? Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. I, I, when I was, after I retired from my work um, about 10 years ago, I was um, offered an opportunity to apply for um, at Seattle Pacific University for a, um, the executive director role of their Center for Integrity in Business, sort of like the Marketplace Institute of Reading mm-hmm. that used to be around, so that kind of a role. And in many ways, it was very appealing. I'd finished my sort of, you know, one season of my life, and it was a chance to sort of work on things that mattered to me. A lot of things mm-hmm. we're talking about here, faith and work and so on. And, and so um, in that process, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to think about it, and, but I, I'd like to take 30 days to pray. And I'm going to ask, I actually asked 30 people to pray, mm-hmm. people who knew me, to pray mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And so it was on Thanksgiving. So it was a very, very uh, great, great time to do that. And after 30 days, what was interesting was 28 people sort of said, you should really do this. This is a great idea. This is what you're about. This is what your whole life has been about. Why wouldn't you do this? In fact, my daughter sort of said to me, joking, a little tongue, and she, she was one of my prayer team. She said, what's there to pray about? <laughs> this is obvious. <laughs> you should do this, right? You should absolutely do this. And, but there were two people who said, we think, I, I, they separately, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't in cahoots or anything, but they said to me separately, and one of them actually was Rod Wilson, who was very wise, and he mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, you may really want to think about this because do you really want to lead a programmatic thing? As they were talking, they said, you know, what we hear you saying is you want time to reflect and to write and to teach. And building a center is a programmatic thing. Now, you're really good at that. I built organizations, but I would wind up spending all my time doing that. And so they said, no, I don't think that was, we would seriously ask you, we would certainly challenge you to think about whether this would be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They were right. I turned it down. You didn't do it. I didn't do oh. it. And so I'm doing this. So, so that's yeah. one of them. Right. But anyway, but it was just one of those lessons to me. It was mm. so counterintuitive. Hmm. And it was so, in many ways, um, so surprising. It would have been easy to not to say, oh, no, they're just, you know, 
28 out of 30 people yeah, said you, I should do this. Yeah, and go with the majority. 28 out of 30 thoughtful, wise people mm-hmm. were not to do this. But you know, I think this is where learning to cultivate voices that are other than our own and learning to take them. Now, now the minority is not always right. Hmm. Neither is the majority, right? But in this case, it turned out it was exactly the right thing, yeah. the right thing I needed yeah. to do. Hmm. Yeah, and just having that willingness to hear it and actually – that yeah, sort of not think yeah. Well, but the twenty eight said this yeah, yeah not to, not just go with the majority rule mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in many ways, it was what what the majority said is in a certain sense what I not only sort of wanted to hear, but what I thought was in many ways the right answer. Yeah, for me, right. Mm-hmm. So confirmation it actually bias. Out, yeah, it was confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why we need that's why we need others, right? That's totally. Why we need the yeah, other. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Definitely. It seems kind of risky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You think? And, and, and potentially like on a business side, maybe a little bit expensive, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense to sort of cultivate that, this sort of biblical wisdom. Yeah. yeah. In, do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah. I think in some ways um, it's risky because it's in some ways um, it's not, it's not the easiest nor the fastest way to get to an answer always. Right. I mean, it's yeah. a journey. I think fundamentally, you know, this, this notion that we have in Proverbs and we, Jesus teaches that, you know, wisdom, it's, there are two ways of, in the world that you choose among, a way of wisdom and a way of folly. Not always clear which is which exactly, mm-hmm. but there is a choice that you have to make. And I think that making that, discerning that and, and, and going down that path, I think, uh, is a risky thing. It takes you to places where you may not want to go. Yeah. But in my case, you know, I thought I sort of knew the answer. Mm. And actually, having to come confront that is is mm-hmm. challenging. And I think I think too, an aspect of the riskiness of wisdom is that by creating an environment where you're willing to hear other voices, it creates, you know, it's it's easier just to get on with it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just easier to say, you know, I don't want to hear the dissenting voices. And I mm-hmm. think I I tend to be a consensus builder, and I and frankly, probably if I'm really honest, I tend to like unanimity right <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't want totally. to hear it in other words mm-hmm. I've had some board experiences where uh, it was really hard and it was costly at a personal level because I had good f- board members in fact good friends who took a very different view on something than I did and it was yeah. sort of it, it took it cost me something I'm sure it cost them something too to say it to be willing to say I've got to listen to this yeah. right um, yeah. hmm. so I think I think that's one aspect of it um I think the other aspect that's costly is that because it's a journey, you learn by doing. Um, right. And and that one aspect of that is we we fail along the way. I mean, it's right. not it's not like we're we're per, we learn something and we get it right the first time. You know. Mm-hmm. Remember, I I, I remember the conversation that uh, one of the Fuller faculty had with Max Dupree, who was one of mm-hmm. this woman's mentors, and uh, and Max one time told her. Um, she and I were good friends. And she said, um, Max told her, you know what you realize, don't you, that you're going to fail half the time. <laughs> and she said, what? <laughs> you know, I'm no, used to getting 100% on my yeah, exam. Yeah. What do you mean I get 50% on my yeah. exam? So yeah. Life isn't like that, right? Mm. And so, um, and I tell the story of learning to ski. I had a good friend of mine who was a wild man going down the ski slopes. We were both learning at the same time. He would crash and burn it. And I would just be really in skiing at least, pretty cautious, you know, mm-hmm. thinking my spots, trying not to fall. Guess who learned how to ski? Not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He learned, and he learned really fast. 
<laughs> yeah. so I think it's, it's costly in that sense, right? Mm, I mean, yeah. willing to fail, um, I think is a is an interesting mm-hmm. character trait. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. yeah so, I'm like you, Uli. I also am very cautious when I ski, so <laughs> I feel like that's a. That's yeah. a good word of advice for myself <laughs> in skiing and Be in life. Be willing to fall, Nick. Be willing yeah. to fall. What do you think, Uli? What do you think, you know, we're talking about, you're already describing what a wise leader is like. What do you think the first task of a leader is? Well, I, I think, you know, this whole, it's funny um, that in many ways, if you read Jesus's teachings, he almost never talks about leadership, right? Mm. But he talks about his servanthood. Mm. Right? And so I think, and I think one of the great contributions and challenges of the of Christian wisdom to the world mm. is to rethink what it means to be a leader. And so mm. at, at, at the first level, I think it's to, the first task of a leader is to think like a servant. Mm-hmm. It's really not to think like a leader. I think so, and not that those, that mm. things, those things aren't important, but I think at the core, it's about learning mm-hmm. to be a servant. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been some wonderful literature developed on servant leadership. I think much of that is helpful. Yeah. I've actually started to use, the, I've, I've sort of reversed the language. And I I started talking about becoming lead servants rather than becoming servant leaders. And I mm-hmm. think the very grammar of the phrase servant leader puts the emphasis on the noun, which is the leader part, not mm-hmm. on the servant part. Ah, right? uh, yeah. So becoming a lead servant means... Our, our focus is on becoming servants yeah. right. and that our job is to lead by being a servant. And, and I like the word lead as an adjective because it suggests you, you may have to go first, both as an example hmm. and as a person who's willing to take on some of the things nobody else wants to do, right? Like yeah. You will take on issues or, so I think it's a very, I think it's a very, it's helped me at least. Yeah. yeah. Reframing the conversation because Definitely. so much of leadership, even some of the language on certain leadership is really about figuring out what kind of leaders we want to be. Well, I think maybe what Jesus was trying to say is maybe at, at sort of a, almost an ontological level, we misunderstand yeah. <laughs> what the task yeah. is, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You will be a leader. And I think many people are leaders who are servants, right? Yeah. Who don't, who mm. we might not label as being leaders. Yeah. Fact, right. right. Oh, I love that. I love yeah, that. I've never thought about that from, to leads of, I did a little bit of um, reading over the summer around leadership and all different theories of leadership for something. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't love that process, but like the servant leadership one's like, oh yeah. And so that, you know, that's sort of what I was like, that one resonates mostly with the kind of a Christian worldview, but, but even still it didn't make sense to me. Mm. So that lead servants, it's totally where it lands. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it doesn't land at leader, it lands at servant. Mm-hmm. That's love that. So, so helpful. Um, and so then I guess humility is sort of where that sort of leads us into this, even what you're saying, like being willing to fall and be willing to fail. And, and Peter Shaw, when we were talking to him, he was like, you learn more from your mistakes. Mistakes, you know. Do you want to talk to us about where does where does humility fit into wise leadership? Sure, sure. No, it's a big topic, and yeah. we, uh, um, you know, there's much to reflect on, learn from, and contemplate. But I think mm-hmm. I think as a as a first place to start, I think is to to distinguish between humility as an attitude versus mm-hmm. humility as an action or a state or condition. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you look at the Old Testament language on humility or the humble, what the Old Testament usually means is not someone who has a particular attitude, feeling mm-hmm. humble, but mm-hmm. that they are hum- they are humble in the sense that they mm-hmm. are weak, powerless, 
mm-hmm. vulnerable. Right. And so um, they don't necessarily, I mean, that can, the feeling can go along with that. But mm-hmm. the emphasis is that humility, actually being humble in the Old Testament sense is being weak and vulnerable. And, and in that sense, it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. viewed as being a good thing even, right? So that's right. an interesting thing. To yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, the comment about that is that what's clear from the Old Testament is that God cares about the humble. God cares mm-hmm. about the weak and the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that over and over, right? In, in the Old Testament teaching mm-hmm. and the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the New Testament, of course, Jesus demonstrates humility by giving up his position and power to identify with and act on behalf mm-hmm. of the humble, the weak and the, humble, the, weak and the uh, vulnerable, right? So, so, you, so one way of understanding what Jesus was teaching was th- that humility is about the willingness to use our power and our status for the benefit of those who are weak and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And this includes being willing to give up our power and status and embrace weakness and poverty for the sake of the poor and powerless. Mm-hmm. And to quote the Apostle Paul in, in um, 2 Corinthians, he became poor so that by his poverty, we might you might become rich. Mm-hmm. Universal thing. Um, and I think what that means for us in terms of our cultural understanding of, of leadership is that it transforms our understanding of power in two important ways. I think the first is that power is transformed from being about us to being about serving the others. So this notion of servanthood, right? That we're not serving ourselves, but mm-hmm. we're serving the other. Um, and not just mm-hmm. for our own benefit. And then mm-hmm. second, and perhaps even more radically, power itself can be embraced, can be exercised, I should say, through embracing powerlessness. You know, as, as God told the Apostle Paul, my power is perfected. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's both how it's used and in some ways how it how it's actually even exhibited so that in a paradoxical way by not having power. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, a, that's a mind blowing way of thinking mm-hmm. about it, actually. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah. we've seen it. I mean, we see people, and Jesus has done it, other people in history have done it, and it's changed the world around them mm-hmm. because they were willing to embrace weakness rather than right. simply coming out with an army and, you know, picking people's tails, right? So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation. But Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know, share it with them, share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm -hmm. Second way, you could, you could, Give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. 
and we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. I love what you're saying here, Uli, and I honestly, uh, it's, it's challenging and, and reframing, but I'm just thinking about like practically how this plays out. And I, <laughs> I, I, I fully agree with what you're saying, but a part of me and maybe even some others would say, does this actually, does it actually work? in, you know, in the quote unquote real world. And I was, I was reading actually an article by the BBC and it was talking about kind of career and climbing the ladder as a leader and how narcissism fits into this. Mm. And one of the quote, I'll just read the quote because it's really interesting. But one of the quotes they said is without humility that would prevent others from tooting their own horns, narcissists may be especially good at self-promotion And I found that profound and striking and kind of disheartening in some regard. So I just wondered, do you want to speak to that? Like, how does humility fit into the, I don't know, quote unquote, real world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a very great, that's a wonderful question and a wonderful quote. Mm -hmm. And sadly, it's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you look at the world, it doesn't take very much to look around, whether it's business, politics, or even perhaps academia and other places, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Narcissists sometimes thrive, right? And they they just- and in, mm-hmm. in the church, yes, yes. Yeah. I, so that's that's um, that's in many ways a, a sad thing. But mm-hmm. um, but I think just a couple of thoughts about that. One is, as somebody, a friend of mine once said, he said, you know, you know, you can climb the ladder of success and find that it's uh, lean, at the end of it that you're leaning up against the wrong wall. You know, that in mm-hmm. a certain sense that we need to think about what is success ultimately about, and what does ultimate success look like. Um, and mm. so it takes a longer view mm. in some ways. Mm. And I, I think biblical wisdom in particular, I think this is where biblical wisdom is not naive. It isn't just painting a picture that says, just be humble and everything will be great. Well, that's not, I mean, scripture itself says that's not the case, right? At least in this life. I mean, it not, acknowledges that not only do the righteous suffer, but perhaps even more surprisingly, the wicked flourish, right? Mm. Just look at Psalm 37 or right. Psalm 73, you know? Humility is not a surefire way to quote success. Mm, and that's the mm-hmm. first acknowledgement. Um, and Jesus, but Jesus taught that the meek will ultimately inherit the earth. And he's quoting Psalm 37, by the way, when he's doing that, right? Mm. So there's actually, he's, he's saying, you know, there is a longer view that you're playing a longer game here than just a short-term game. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's, I guess, the first comment I would, I would make. I think on a more encouraging note, and we we read this, uh, we read um, part of our class work, um, read Jim Collins's work on what's, what he called um, level five leadership, where he actually did a study in Harvard Business Review. He looked at successful companies in the United States and North America um, that outperformed the market. He was looking at economic success in that sense, and he he said he was at, he went in without any preconceived notions about what contributed to that. He was just interested in understanding what would actually, what would result, what are the key underlying mm-hmm. factors that result in success. Mm-hmm. And he said, one thing that was surprising was the thing that bubbled to the top was leadership. He actually thought maybe leadership wasn't the main reason, but he found out, no, no, leadership actually matters. So that's interesting. And the second thing, he said, what he found out was the really top performing companies in, his, in, in across a significant amount of time, he said, were run by people who had deep humility and a complementary um, trait called what he calls steely resolve. So they held together both a deep commitment to their um, their mission, 
but they also mm-hmm. had a de- deep personal humility. And he said he was he was shocked at that mm-hmm. result. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think what that says to me, I think what that says is it's an encouraging signpost that while mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee that humility will get, get you the, I mean, if what you're after is getting the top job, humility may not be the may, may not be the only way to get there, right? Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of viewing this as part of a larger picture of being faithful and mm-hmm. looking to something that ultimately um, will bring success in the sense of affirmation from right. God in terms of our own lives, I think humility is absolutely the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but then how do, yeah. how do, oh, yeah, that, oh, sorry. Sorry. Lee, I was just going to say, I just wanted to ask, does that make sense? I, yeah, I no, that that's really good. I mean, I think uh, I just was struck by that article, but then also I think it's helpful to reframe what we view as success to yeah. your, for, your first point is, is, is really important that as followers of Jesus, what is success? And then with that, like what's, what's long-term yeah. success even? Well, in and actually I was thinking about the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? You said, you know, there, there's wheat growing and there's, and then somebody sows bad seeds and the tares and growing. And he says, rather than just ripping out the tares, he said, let them grow. Mm-hmm. So and it, one, one in, interesting insight from that is sort of both wise and foolishness will flourish for a long time and look sort of, you know, they're both flourishing. Why oh, is that? Yeah. Why right. is it? Yeah. Why isn't mm-hmm. just the, why isn't just wheat rewarded? Right. Why right. Yeah. Being rewarded for this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those things are always happening. At, they're all, they are happening at the same time, as you yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me kind of think, okay, so this is great. We need to be, there's this kind of humility and leadership, but how do you, like, it, it, um, how do you cultivate that? Um, particularly in the individualistic kind of context. And then how do you not just be falsely humble, you know, where it's just like, oh, no, no, you're better than me, you know. You know, that, that like it's like that's mm. not actually not humility, that's deeply prideful, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing where it's sort of. So how do you, like what actually, how do you cultivate a humility that's not actually, not actually a false doormat sort of thing or no. a false humility of some kind? Hmm. No, I think, I think, you know, uh, I didn't say this earlier, but I think um, one aspect of humility, and certainly a model in Jesus' life, is that Jesus wasn't falsely humble, right? I mean, he laid yeah. down, yeah, I mean, he was deeply aware of who he was, and he consciously laid that down. And I think, mm. in many ways, humili- right, humility, rightly understood, affirms the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. Is, I'm choosing to do this for the sake of the other, mm-hmm. right? And in terms of fundamentally, my posture, that's my posture. And so I'm not doing this because I'm worthless or unworthy, or I feel like, you know, it's my only way to grovel and get what I want. Right? Mm-hmm. It's actually an act of grace. It's an act of laying, and that's the Christian understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we're laying down something that's very important and very valuable for the sake and out of love for the other. Mm-hmm. And so I think basically that, I think that re- that helps us to deal with, I think, Claire, with what mm-hmm. you're talking about in part is, there is a false humility that, you know, that never wants to accept, you know, praise or whatever. I mean, I don't think that's at all um, mm. Christian, a Christian mm. understanding of it. Right. I think the second thing is, I think, um, in terms of cultivating a genuine Christian humility, I think one is just by beginning at the point of saying, this is, this is the, probably the greatest example and teaching of Jesus's life, right? That in the cross, we see not only a singular act for our salvation, but laying out a way of life of mm. how to live in the world in a way that is radically different, right? And so, mm-hmm. so 
why not simply knowing that that's really important? Maybe mm. for, you know, just starting at that point. I think in terms of practically, I, I guess there are a couple things that, that I thought about that have been helpful to me. Just in terms of practically as leaders, you know, we are looked to, to having all the answers and knowing mm. it's almost a godlike quality people <laughs> that attribute to these right. as a, the leaders say, hey, you should, what do you mean you don't know the answer to everything? Mm-hmm. Right? You're the leader you're supposed to know, right? And yeah. so I think, I think one, as a leader myself, I think cultivating uh, what some people call an epistemological humility, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that we have limits to our knowledge. And I think not trying to pretend that we're God, mm-hmm. I think is a great place to start. Um, I've often said that the three hardest words for me to say as a leader, particularly as a senior leader, the more senior I become, the harder it's become, is not I was wrong, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. people expect you to know. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and in a certain sense, they're, because you're supposed to be competent, right? And it's, mm. you're supposed to actually be omnicompetent, which is actually not true, right? <laughs> and impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and impossible. Yeah. yeah. I think that the other thing that's really help, been helpful to me is, uh, particularly as a Christian leader, uh, is to cultivate an awareness of our own capacity for evil and folly. And that may seem sort of contradictory, but I think Solzhenitsyn had this wonderful quote. Let me read it to you. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And that's true, as true for us as Christians as it is for non-Christians. And we're all, I think the, the astonishing thing that I have to live with, that we have to live with, is we're all capable of unspeakable evil. Mm-hmm. And that, and we are wise if we recognize. I think sometimes we 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 start to think of ourselves as being above that, right? That we're, and I think one of the great paradoxes of the mm-hmm. Christian journey is that as we grow in maturity, we become more and more aware of both God's grace and, in the language of the hymn, our own unworthiness. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a deep mm-hmm. sense of awareness of our own brokenness as we mm-hmm. journey down that way. So, but in terms of, you know, in a culture of self, self uh, promotion, you know, we're in social media, right? Social media is all about getting people to pay attention to you and, you know, promo- mm-hmm. promoting our, our work. Uh, I think it takes real discernment to know, mm-hmm. um, to know what to do and when what we're doing is distorting who we're becoming. Mm-hmm. I think paying attention, mm-hmm. I think part of it is just paying attention to what's going on inside of us. Mm-hmm. even as we're doing this thing. I think it's easy to think this is all neutral, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I know Gustavo um, has, has said to me, well, you know, pay, paying attention to um, how our, our actions distort our souls mm-hmm. I think is one way to, to make sure that we, we are aware of what's actually happening, that it's mm-hmm. not just something happening out there, it's something that's happening in here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... So two practical things related to that is I don't, I think Jesus' story about you know not going for the seat of honor you know the person who sat yeah, down yeah. in the honored seat and then was asked to take a lesser seat mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's probably better to shoot lower and and be promoted sort of by others rather than through all our own promotional work I think the other thing that's I think probably most important to me is continue to focus on the common good um, I think remembering that leadership. Is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And I think as leaders, it's easy in our culture to be assess, obsessed, and, and in particular, entrepreneurial culture that I've grown up in is so focused on the individual uh, entrepreneur and the, maybe even a small group of entrepreneurs. But actually, we're this is a team sport. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to understand that what we're trying to do is to work for the common good. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Do you think, Uli, I have kind of an off-script 
question sure. with that because I, 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 is that a new phenomenon in, I don't know, culture in general or, or maybe even Christian culture that the team dynamic and relational dynamic when it comes to leadership, or do you feel like that's always been present? I, I just asked the question because yeah. it seems like in my understanding, the old model of leadership used to be kind of, uh, kind of one leader, go at it alone, um, and lead the rest of the group. Whereas it's, it seems like this is more of an emerging model. Is that true? Or, or what would you say? I, 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 it's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. So I, I'll say that. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll confess those three words. I hate to say, um, no, but I, I think my sense like yours is that in, in certainly in the last 56 years uh, that I've been alive or 60 plus years now, um, the dominant culture and our, our, our the dominant leadership uh, culture and the wider culture is focused on the individual. I think it's partly of where we live in the world. I think yeah. in North America, I think if you were living in Africa and other places, you would see something different. And some of our cohort members who come from those mm-hmm. cultures have a yeah. slightly different view of this. And right. even in Asian cultures, it's a little, yeah. it's much more communal, that sense, right? right? And I think there are traditions, I think of the Catholic tradition, the Jesuits, you know, who I think there's much more a, a shared sense of calling and leadership responsibility. And I think that's all for the good. So mm-hmm. I think in many ways, um, recovering that, and I think we sort of recovered mm-hmm. and lose it in history over and over. Okay. Yeah. I think we're at a moment in history where it's a, it's a good time to recover. And I think in part because, um, maybe I don't know if this is part of your question or comment, is that um, there's actually a surprising awareness of that mm. in some secular context. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of companies that are not explicitly Christian that don't profess any kind of faith who say, hey, we, we understand the importance right. of team as mm-hmm. opposed to just the individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think, I think that's, that's a very healthy development. I think yeah. as yeah. wise Christians, we should affirm that and, mm-hmm. and, and draft yeah. on that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, can I? Can I, I? This is another one that's off script, and it's and sure. and it may be not something that we can get into fully, but the, kind of this the thinking of humility and sort of taking the lesser seat is is good when you've been in a position of privilege. You know, obviously it's good anytime, but then, yeah. but you know, the, I think I wonder about the sort of even even just just on the issue of sort of gender dynamics, and yeah. so where where a group, you know, women have been more marginalised if you come to sort of traditional leadership, you know, does that same where does do you know what where does the self promotion humility thing sort of fit there to groups that have been whether it's kind of gender or otherwise sort of marginalised? I don't know. This it's such a oh, that's yeah. a really deep question, but I don't know. Any thoughts? Yeah. That's a really, really good question. And I think, um, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think mm. it's those of us who naturally gravitate grabbing the ring right. problem. I think, uh, I think those who have been denied access to whether it's resources or opportunities, yeah. I think those of us who have the opportunity to speak into that and who are in privileged positions yeah. should be should obviously advocate for that. Right, right. I think for those who are in that and, and need to self-advocate, I don't think that's inappropriate at no. all. I think, I think Jesus would do that. I mean, I think, right. it's, I think it's back mm-hmm. to this question of this humility is simply being a doorman. No, it's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Humility is recognize that I am a child of God and I am made in the image of God and therefore I have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's all 
that's that's all absolutely you can say that and express be entirely consistent expressing humility. Saying, right. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think no. I think I think the problem is um not the problem. I think and 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 perhaps you know in the process of doing that, you know, we all do that in sort of imperfect ways. But I think I would continue to challenge myself and all of us to not simply replace um, um, being enslaved with being empowered and oppressing right. others, right? I mean, to, yeah. to use the extreme language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think that somebody said, you know, it, it took God one day to get his people out of Egypt, and it took 40 years or more to get Egypt out of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So, and there's, it's a lifelong relearning. Yeah, about how we behave as leaders. Now, now, I would say in terms of the the, the 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 gender issue in particular, I find just in my interactions with my uh, female colleagues, they are much more sensitive. Even those who have who have come from other uh, situations where they haven't had the opportunities, right, mm-hmm. right. Once they step into the role, they are much more sensitive to others. Mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. So I. I mean, I have a lot to learn from them, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Some of my, my best learnings have been from colleagues who I've served with who, who've yeah. been through that. Yeah. So. No, thanks, Oli. That's really helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've it's kind of a lot to do with individual power and the and the power that we're given or or that we step into. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you know, there's also not just individual power, but also institutional yeah. power. And that's I think I can say that maybe, I mean, maybe it's always had a bad rep at times, but as of late, <laughs> for sure, in different spheres in society. I wonder, do you have thoughts on how, like, obviously, you've we've asked questions about as an individual leader, like evaluating, asking questions, reflecting, being kind of self-aware. Like, do you have thoughts on what you would say is like a good question or in like evaluating the health of institutions and power dynamics there? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a big subject. Mm-hmm. Let's take another hour and talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think just inst- like you say, institutions have a terrible, I mean, the connotation that way is just even the word institutionalized, right? Yeah. Exactly bring up warm, fuzzy feelings. No. <laughs> so institutions, but I think, I think one of the really helpful insights from Andy Crouch wrote a book called playing God, which is very, mm. very good about power. And one of the things he discusses in there is the role of institutions. And I think one of the things, aha moments I had when I was reading him is that he said, you know, institutions were really designed to pass on human flourishing from generation to generation. That it's not, Mm. This terrible thing that we had to do because we couldn't think of anything else, mm. but that somehow God intends human flourishing to not just die when we, you know, when we move on, right? And so, uh, actually, I was I was thinking about I, I was asked Jeff Greenman asked me to to give a talk to I think it was at the fiftieth uh, mm. anniversary uh, where he gathered uh, many of the region's founders and former board members as a yeah. former board chair myself. He said, "Why don't you come and say a few things?" and and so one of the things I said, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the long history of region and of the remarkable individuals here. You know, Jim Houston was in the audience, still is mm. alive, wonderfully. Uh, others like J.F. Packer have passed on and Eugene Peterson have passed on. I said, you know, region isn't just about individuals. Region is about, there's a gift that God has given 
to the church through the institution of regions, mm-hmm. which our Catholic friends, and this one for insight from the Catholics, is that in the same way that individuals have gifts, institutions have gifts. They call mm-hmm. them charisms. Mm-hmm. The, the charism that's given to a place like region, and part of the challenge of, of those of us who function in governance and other roles in, in the institution is to figure out what is that charism and how are we, how are we stewarding that mm. generation to generation? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think sometimes institutional power dynamics becomes about, you know, um, focusing just on the past mm. or just on what's happened before. But actually our challenge is always to honor the past, but at the same time, think in the present moment, how do we not just think about now, but how do we pass this mm-hmm. onto another generation? And again, mm-hmm. we tend to live in an age, more broadly speaking, and I, in the tech business, it's certainly true. Mm-hmm. I mean, your planning horizon is like three months, right? Yeah, and totally. Five years or, I mean, 20 years? Who thinks about that kind yeah. of thing? Right? So I think in, thinking institutionally, I think is a wonderful uh, uh, wonderful uh, shift in perspective in terms mm-hmm. of people. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think the other comment to maybe answer more. I, I've answered a question you didn't ask, but the question that you did ask about power, healthy power dynamics. I think that's a great question, and I think I think it's related to the fact that in institution, every institution I know, power is not allocated equally, right? I mean, there's no institution that I know, perhaps that you, if you know one, I'd love mm. to know what it is, but yeah. where everybody has the same amount of power. Right? No. Obviously, Jeff, as president of region, has different power than you or. You or Claire, or, mm-hmm. or so you know me as a faculty person, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's power is concentrated in different doses yeah. <laughs> you know, throughout the institution. I think the fundamental question is how is that concentrated power used? Mm-hmm. Is it you? And, and what I mean by that is, I think the question really is: is it used simply to advance the agenda or the, of the person, or the, mm. for the benefit of the person, or is it in fact? helping the whole community to flourish. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a much more difficult question right. yeah. to ask yeah. and in some ways to evaluate even. Yeah, yeah. That's the right question to ask. Is it in fact doing that? Mm. And for me, and even when I was when I was running my company, one of the questions I thought some about was how am I treating those who are on the margins of my business? Mm. I mean, I mean employees. I mean there's some people in an organization mm. that have roles that in a certain sense, make them more important to you because of mm-hmm. their contribution to the work. And so it's easy to spend more time with those people and, and allocate resources to them. But I think I think one of the tests of healthy use of power is how we treat in an institution the, the poor and the powerless. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we treat everybody the same, but it does mean that we have to pay attention to them. Right. In the same way that God cared about the resident aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than just the people of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's so good. I was just, th- when you were talking, I was thinking in Corinthians when Paul's talking about the body of Christ and how each has different charisms or giftings mm-hmm. right. and the ones that are the uh, most looked over right. uh, should be pointed out and seen. And so that's yeah. what, I mean, that's what I was thinking of as you were talking. So yeah. it's really helpful. I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great example. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, we don't do that well. I don't do mm-hmm. that well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. But, but you know, and it's and it and it, it's just so countercultural, right? Because you're, you tend to, as a, as in a whether it's in a business or in a leading an organization of any kind, there's things you want to do, and that you want to get done. And there's certain people and certain things that help you do that. 
But there are others who come along and they're not just along for the ride, but they're not as directly connected to what you think is important. And I think mm-hmm. what God challenges us to do in our thinking about institution is to say, you need to pay attention to those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? definitely. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tell you exactly what to do for them mm-hmm. in all cases, but you're to, you're to make sure they're cared for. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So, Ollie, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a tangential question as we end here. Um, poetry? How does poetry fit into wise leadership? Well, I, I make my students read poetry, and they yeah. some of them ask me exactly that question. They say, <laughs> what are you thinking? They, they ask it much more politely than that, right? Yeah. They don't say, are you crazy or what? Yeah. And some, I mean, some people basically say, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, so, but actually, the reason I do it is because um, – Vision is an essential quality, is an essential characteristic that leaders have to have. So be, how we see the world matters, right? And so, frankly, for me personally, I've grown up in a world that values and, and, and that values analytical and abstract thinking. Mm. And that's true. Generally, education, modern education focuses mostly on, not exclusively, mm-hmm. but mostly on that. And that's true whether you're in the sciences or in theology or whatever. So we tend to abstract a lot. And, 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 it's, and it's a useful skill as mm-hmm. a mathematician, right? I mean, mathematics has done remarkable things mm-hmm. in our world, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. But there's a whole other side of seeing the world, which has to do more with the imagination and, and, and with things that are not as clear cut. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things I've learned is that learning to read poetry helps me to engage the other half of my mind. You know, there's sort of the analytical part of my mm. mind and there's sort of the more imaginative part of my mind. And so, and, and I found it, I mean, it sounds sort of, well, maybe that's kind of nice, but really, do you really mm. need to do that mm-hmm. as a leader? But I, I, I really do think that it's, it's hard to do. It's, it's a discipline to embrace, but um, it's a, it helps us, helps me to be, more integrated mm. in myself and in seeing the world in a, with two eyes rather than just one eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a further metaphor. And the other, this other eye, this imaginative eye, helps me to appreciate nuance and mystery. And and in fact, even to be more curious and playful in the mm. way I look at it. I tend to be very, you know, and that's in the abstract side, I tend to be very analytical and very sort of down matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain playfulness and curiosity that comes with learning to read poetry. It's, it's not all obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I remember reading T.S. Eliot's Four Seasons for the first time because Eugene Peterson was a big fan. Mm-hmm. I remember reading, he says, Eugene tells me I should read this poem. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So I read it, I mean, I read it a bunch of times and um, and I remember thinking, I don't get 90% of this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. I literally don't get this. So I took Maxine Hancock's class at reading. There you go. And, and it was wonderful. It helped me understand at least maybe 30% of it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a certain sense where poetry is not meant to be, I, I want to understand and master mm. this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I got to get this, right? But poetry is not like that. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, there's, a, there's an elusive quality to it, mm-hmm. which is an elusive quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that teaches us to, teaches us humility, teaches us a different way of seeing the world. And I think um, despite some of my students' concerns, it helps them not become wiser leaders. <laughs> yeah. That's a great place to end. People need to go and get themselves a book of poetry yeah. to become a wise leader. And, keep, you know, as well as all the other things we've talked about. Well, right. it's been so good to talk to you. Thanks so it's much wonderful. for your um. So for your much time. fun to do this with you guys. Yeah, let's I do it again. I thought I was going to have so much fun doing this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. It was awesome. <laughs> you just tell all your friends the Regent College podcast is a fun thing to do. 
Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net. dot